women heroes growing up? Ooh, they were probably mostly on film for me. Mm-hmm. So I gotta go the three ladies from nine to five, actually. <laughs> Dolly, Jane, Lily. and Lily. Yes, girls. Yes. Very good. Kia ora, hello, and welcome to this episode of Play Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Duncan. And I'm also your host, Alison Horsley. And we're both dramaturgs, meaning we read a lot of plays. We've likely read plays that you feel you should have, but didn't. And that's where Play Notes Podcast comes in. And today, we're going to talk about a kick-ass woman Mm -hmm. called Antigone. Yes! Now, this is a play who was written by the same guy... Who wrote the play we talked about in the first episode? Oedipus. Yes. But Oedipus isn't the guy who wrote the play. No, no, no. That was Sophocles. (laughs) Sophocles. And if you haven't listened to the first episode, do go back because we go over some of the basics of Greek tragedy and drama that will help with, you know, diving into this one. Not to mention Antigone's backstory all has to do with what happened in Oedipus. Yeah. Because Oedipus was her dad. Oedipus was her dad. And crazy shit went down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Back in the Greek days. Back in the Greek the days. The ancient Greek the days. Ancient Greek days. Yeah. So there, there were these huge outdoor theatres, amphitheatres, mm-hmm. uh, built into hillsides. Yeah, because it, it conducted sound easily. Yeah, the acoustics so. were amazing. No mm-hmm. one had to be mic'd. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and they could seat up to 14,000 people. Often, we think that it was probably men. The the, the, the presence of women is contested, yeah, apparently, but yeah. not quite sure. But definitely Athenian citizens. Yes. Okay. So, so about 15,000, 14,000 people. Men. Yeah, outside. And the most important people would sit right at the front. So they could be seen. Yeah. Seeing. Yes. At the seeing so, place. Yeah, so that, that seating area was called the Theatron. Yes. Which is where... Our term theatre comes from. It means the seeing place. And what were they looking at? Well, in the first part, they were looking at the orchestra. Which was round. Round. And that's where the chorus would perform. The chorus would be a group of usually Athenian citizens, uh, twelve, a group of 12 to 15 of them. Men. Men. All men. Even later on, when we have choruses of women, they still would have been played by men. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's uh, And the job of the chorus is to be not only a character on stage, but they also, they also sing and dance and are reciting poetry. And they're a kind of intermediary between the audience and the characters on stage. So they both talk to the other characters on stage, like in a group, the chorus speaks together, and also they talk directly to the audience. So they fill the audience in on what they need to know, and they also sometimes like give a little lip mm-hmm. to the other characters on stage, especially when they disagree with them. Yeah. And behind the orchestra, or orchestra, was uh, there was a platform area and the Skaney, where yes. our our current day term scene yeah. comes from. Yeah, like and the backdrop. area, yeah, like a backdrop. And the area in front of that was known as the Proskaney, which is where we get our term proscenium, which is the the name of the picture frame structure in most modern conventional Western theater. Yeah, in a yeah. conventional theater. So a lot of these terms are definitely from from Greek theater. And and the Skaney was really thought to be a sort of a big building, uh, mm-hmm. at least a couple of stories. Yeah. And it had three doors in it. 
And part of the function of this building was, uh, as we said in episode one, all the violence happened off stage. Inside the building often. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. and, which is why often in these plays, it's set out front of a palace. So mm-hmm. in Oedipus, it's pretty much out front of the palace. In Antigone, it is also outdoors. It's always in a public arena, usually, yeah, like on the front porch of the palace. And we talked about in the last episode that the audience would have known these stories. Yes, absolutely. To degree. Uh, it's, you know, they went along to see the how, not so much the what. Yeah. Because they know what happens. But how does it unfold? Yeah, they all know Antigone's background. They're just coming to watch how it goes down in this particular playwright's version of of her story. And these plays took place in a festival. It was just one part of this big festival called City... Dionysia, that's how I say it. Dionysia, how do you say it, Alison? I, I say city Dionysia. Okay, you're probably right. I don't know about that. <laughs> but it was in, in honor of the god Dionysus. Yes. Who I think of as the good time god. He's the rock and roll guy. Yeah. So he's the he is the wine-drinking, uh, bloody, fertile, messy god. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, so he's he's the fertility god right. in a lot of ways. So anything that's, that involves... Um, yeah, sex, pleasure, indulgence, overindulgence, uh, b- procreation, basically. Is, he's is, your guy. He's your guy. And this big festival that it went over for a couple of months at least, yeah. longer, it was like a city pride event. Yeah, and, and, and so everybody who's Athens. anybody is going to this event to see the players competing. Mm-hmm. And so usually there were going to be three tragedies competing against each other. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and usually those were trilogies actually competing against each Shutter. other that three different playwrights had written. And I'm bad at math, so that's like, what, nine plays? No, they each had a fourth and it was a satyr play. Oh lord, I'm passing out now. Okay, so our backstory is where we left the Oedipus clan uh, at the end of Oedipus. What was left? Or what, what was left of it. Uh, he was exiled. Um, he roamed in exile uh, over time, his two sons, Polynices and Eteocles, that's how I pronounce mm-hmm. them, and his two daughters, Ismene and Antigone, have been raised in Thebes. Creon is the king, and, and Polynices and Eteocles are supposed to be sharing sharing power yeah. as well. Eteocles doesn't fulfill his end. They don't play nice. He don't play nice. Polynices then leads an army against Thebes to try and regain what he believes is his rightful his rightful crown mm-hmm. right so the two brothers kill each other in this conflict but then creon decrees that because polynices has led an army against thebes that polynices shouldn't be buried but Eteocles should be buried with like full military honors mm-hmm. and, and all of that his corpse is left out to to the scavengers yeah, yeah, and the, the dogs, dogs and, and the birds and the whatever anybody who's anybody to eat it basically. And this is a real political stance that Creon makes. Yeah. And, and a bit of a religious one as well, but it's a political, it's like a, it's like a tough on crime stance. This is his big broken windows. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, it's, he's making an example of Polynices. And and the story really gets rolling because Antigone, Polynices' sister, Creon's niece, has a very different take on this. Yeah. She believes is most important that you honor the gods, religious rites, you must bury the body. Yes. You cannot leave a body out 
Right. But and and also it's her brother, and so she wants to to pay him that honor. Whereas to Creon, he's he makes a much harder line mm-hmm. and says we have to make a political essentially a political gesture and not honor the gods in this way because uh, Polynices is a traitor. And she buries the body twice in the play. Yeah. The first time round. I mean, she tells her sister what she's going to do. Yeah. But her sister's not... She sort of agrees in principle, but she doesn't... She knows they're going to get in huge trouble if they do this. So she chickens out. Yeah, she chickens out. Ismene. Yeah, Ismene chickens out. Antigone goes and pretty much layers some dust over the body. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it, word gets back to Creon that somebody has done that. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Creon then reminds everybody of the death penalty, basically, that he's laid out for anyone who tries to bury the body of Polynices. And then another, uh, the sentry comes back in and is like, oh, there's a, what? She, she did it. A lady buried him again. And I know who it is. She gets dragged in. And she gets dragged in and she is announced as being Oedipus's daughter. So even before she enters, she is, we know that it's Oedipus's daughter. So Antigone is engaged to her cousin, Haman. Creon's son, Haemon. Yes. Yeah. So they're engaged. And so the fact that Antigone has gone against Creon's wishes puts Creon in a pretty awkward position. It also puts Antigone in pretty bad stead with her father-in-law-to-be, mm-hmm. but she holds firm to her purpose. So Creon is, of course, enraged. Haman comes to speak on Antigone's behalf, and, and Creon says says a lot of pretty misogynistic things, basically. He's like, look, man, there there's hey, other misog- girls. It was a very misogynistic society. Yeah, it was a very yeah, yeah. So he's yeah, he's like, you know what, I can't believe you're siding with the woman. You know, um, there will be other women. Let her let her bear out her punishment. And Haman pretty much says, if you if you punish her, if if you continue in this way, you will not see me again. Creon rules that the punishment for Antigone is going to be that she's going to be buried alive, mm-hmm. basically. And Tiresias gets dragged in because everybody needs some wisdom at this point. The 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 the, the blind seer that we met last the, time talking about Oedipus. Yeah, and and as always happens to Tiresias. Does Creon uh, behave well when Tiresias speaks the truth to Creon, Emily? No, 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 no. no he's no. basically like, get away, old man. You don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, this is the irony with Tiresias. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and and so and Tiresias pretty much says, Creon, your family is going to be cursed. You're going to you're going to experience a lot of tragedy. But he's like, I'm kinging here. Yeah, I'm, I'm kinging here. Yeah, I've got to do this well. Yeah, I'm real important, um, which is kind of like... Stand my ground. Yeah, yeah, which is a super bad idea when you're living in a polytheistic society <laughs> where you have really vengeful gods because yeah. they're going to get you. And there are these prophecies and, and there's prophecies. down. Yeah, so don't try and avoid the prophecy. But Creon still sticks with his plan. Uh, he... Uh, he decides he he does change his mind ultimately his he, mo his mo he decides after Tiresias he's like you know what I I do have a change of heart I'm gonna go get her out I'm gonna I'm I so he does have a change of heart to his credit mm-hmm. it's a little too late though mm-hmm. because then we have a messenger who comes on stage who tells us that Antigone has hanged herself in her like buried alive tomb okay. building yeah, 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 yeah. tomb. And that uh, that Haman has uh, spat in his father's face when Creon arrived there to try and stop the whole thing, and then Haman has killed himself, and that Creon has witnessed that. 
And then it gets and worse. It gets worse. Another character who we haven't actually met yet. Right. Is Creon's wife. Right. Eurydice. Haman's mother. mother, Eurydice. Not the same Eurydice who shows up elsewhere in Greek tragedy. Uh, but Eurydice hears this relayed from the messenger and she goes and kills herself. Yeah. So this leaves Creon at the end of the play Antigone, having fulfilled his fate, basically, which is what Tiresias said would happen, which is he is accountable for multiple murders or deaths. And this brings us back to one of the real sort of nubby questions with Antigone, mm-hmm. where we talk about it as a Greek tragedy. Yeah. And that is who really is the protagonist. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this term, protagonist essentially means the main character. Mm-hmm. And in Greek tragedy, the tragedy happens to the main character. Usually who the play is named, named after. Who you would assume in this case is Antigone. You would think. But if you want to get technical about it... Yeah, what's her... She... Yeah, well, usually because the main, the, main tra- the main character in a Greek tragedy has a fatal flaw mm-hmm. or a tragic flaw or hamarsha, marsha, marsha. And, and those other... Um, Greek tragedy conventions need to happen the to The recognition and the reversal. reversal. Yeah, and and it seems like with Antigone, those kind of happen before the play even begins, once she has... Because she's already made this decision. And in some ways, she's she was born with it, right? Like, she was born under this curse. Mm-hmm. So this family is not going to be okay no matter what they do, because that is... That's inborn. So if we're talking about the how and what un- unfolds in front of us and the audience... Mm-hmm. It seems that the protagonist is actually Creon. Creon. Yeah, because he's the one who experiences the greatest fall in a way because he's gone from being this this political leader or what what he thinks is is the ideal version of a political leader into being this familyless man, this mm-hmm. this pathetic person at the yeah. end of the play. Yeah. He hasn't lost his total status in society. But he's lost everything that made him who he was. Uh, but also because he wasn't able to make a proclamation that he stood by. Also, right? Like, so he changed his mind, which is a noble thing, hum- humanitarianly wise. Yeah. Uh, but as a leader, he's now a little bit questionable too. It's one of the reasons why I think the play is still really popular. Is it addresses uh, the the role of the individual in fulfilling whatever they feel is a religious or moral obligation as opposed to a, a civil obligation. Right. That, like, if, if Creon represents the rule of law and the need to abide by m- laws that have been created by humans versus laws that have been created by the gods that one must abide. Or personal principles. Or personal principles. To, to bury your brother. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so in that way, the, the play is really useful because it, it pits Antigone, who's following her own interior, in, interior, internal moral compass against Creon, who has seemingly arbitrarily made a human law. Uh, that he abides by. And so that's why I think the play is still popular, is that it, it it allows for that discussion, and it can hold that much philosophy 
that you can stage it in different cultures in different political times to make quite a statement. Yeah, it's a really great example of high stakes. Yeah, because well. Antigone is willing to die for her cause, mm-hmm. um, just out of principle. She's willing to throw away. I mean, she doesn't. She doesn't care about the marriage, like her impending marriage to Haman, any of that. All of that pales in comparison for her to the need to, to bury her brother yeah. and appease the gods in that way, but also to, to honor and respect her brother. I would really encourage people to pick up a copy of the script, whatever translation uh, you know you pick it up in and read Lots it from. Lots of adaptations. Uh, yeah, the language is beautiful. Uh, birds are sometimes very beautiful. They're sometimes very sinister. Sometimes it they is, eat dead people. Yeah, it's very clever. In, in the scene between Haman and Creon, Haman is trying to get Creon to change his mind. And Haman says to Creon, let not your first thought be your only thought. Ooh. Right? 